and welcome to The Worst Best Sellers, where we read about the moral corruptive powers of literally all women, so you don't have to. I'm Renata. And I'm Kate. And for this episode, we read Purity by Jonathan Franzen. Joining us to discuss this awards bait e brick of a novel is Sophie, bossy dame who Jonathan Franzen probably wouldn't like because he loathes all women, especially ones who are mothers. Hello, Sophie. Hello. Thanks for joining us to discuss your nemesis. <laughs> Thank you for having me. This is, um, well, it's going to be real special. Yeah. <laughs> just just a whole chunk of time to really <laughs> dig into your Franz and Freuda. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Which is something I do anyway, but, you know, being able to do it in this concentrated way with two of you who I know get it. Oh. <sighs> Well, interestingly enough, prior to, and I think I said this a little bit on Twitter to you guys, prior to recently, I only vaguely knew who Jonathan Franzen was. Like, I knew that he was one of those, like, white male literary fiction writers. I could not connect him with a book that he had written, if you asked me. I could not have told you anything about him. And then I think it was you, Sophie, or someone linked to some profile on him right when this was coming out. And I was like, okay, like this guy's kind of a douchebag. And I read this book and like, Jesus fucking Christ, this is everything that I hated about every guy who was in my creative writing workshops in college. (laughs) Well, okay. Now I think Jonathan Franzen is perhaps best known for wanting to adopt Iraqi orphans so that he could understand youth culture. But previously to that, I think he was best known for the fact that Oprah tried to pick his novel The Corrections for uh, for Oprah's book club, and he did not want to be associated with Oprah. And so she, like, took it back. And that happened... I want to say I was either in high school or maybe early college. And at the time, I thought that was kind of, like, cool and punk rock. Like, okay. Like, I loved the musical Rent. And I was, like, really, as many, like, teenagers are, I was, like, really into, like, not selling out. And so I kind of thought Oprah would be, like, selling out. So I was like, that's cool, Jonathan Franz. Like, don't sell it to Oprah. Like, now, as a sort of reasonable-ish adult. I'm like, oh, that's, like, rude and stupid. Like, why would you do that? But as a young person, I thought it was kind of cool. I'll be honest. And I did read the corrections, and I really liked it. And so now I'm curious, like, is that book actually good? If I read it now, would I still like it? Or I don't know, and I don't know that I want to commit the time to reread it to figure it out. Yeah, um... That whole thing with Oprah happened when I was in library school. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, like, take the money and shut up. Like, (laughs) what is wrong with you? And and like, even more than that, the thing that really bothered me about it, which, of course, bothers me even still, is the fact that he couldn't he couldn't figure out a way to say, I prefer not to that did not make it super obvious that what he preferred not to do was have a conversation with, you know, an audience predominantly made up of like middle-class women. Like he really, he made it so clear that what he objected to most was having like a middle brow audience. 
and like the idea of that audience becoming his fans and like his devoted readers, I think just clearly filled him with horror. And I just remember thinking, you're a dummy, like you're, you're a <laughs> dummy and a snob and ugh, yeah, that really turned me off. But then some years later, he published this book of essays, like they, and they were all like, not, I guess not all autobiographical, but they were, a lot of them were sort of about himself and like his childhood and, and birds. Um, and birds and Charlie Brown. He talked a lot about peanuts in one of those essays. And that actually made me reevaluate peanuts, like huh. in a good way, in a good way. I was like, oh, maybe I will reread that. I remember reading that when I was a kid and maybe I'll take a look at that again. Um, and I, that kind of made me rethink him. I, I really enjoyed those essays, but that was seven or eight years ago at this point. And like you, I'm not sure if I would read them with the same generosity that I read them then. Yeah. Do you remember? I don't know if he has more than one essay collection. Do you remember if that was farther away? It was. It, no, that's not what it was called. Um, something like the land of discomfort or something like that. It the the cover art was like a phrenological model of the head with oh, like okay. um, you know areas of of different types of discomfort like cringing and, <laughs> and 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 I just I kind of liked that he laid bare his he seemed to be it, my memory of these essays which again I read years ago um as that they were fairly honestly reckoning with his failings as a person and I remember appreciating that and I now hmm, I think now I feel a little more jaundiced toward them like like that that was kind of a cheat and like almost a trick to get people on his side, but yet not actually do anything to change those negative aspects of his personality. Mm, sounds right. Yeah. So that's that's kind of where I am right now. So I just looked that up. The one you read was The Discomfort Zone, you're right? Yes. And then yes. that's from 2006. I sort of recently, a few years ago, listened to the audiobook version of his 2012 essay collection, which is called Farther Away. And that was really, I think it was slightly before there were all these pieces coming out about all the weird, gross things that he says. And, like, I think it was before his war with Jennifer Weiner, which we can talk about later. But I listened to that and I was like, oh, I thought I liked you. I thought I liked your book. And this is all, like, cartoonish. And that review, I posted a review on Goodreads saying, like, oh, I think Jonathan Franzen is becoming, like, a parody of a white male writer. And I still, to this day, get occasional random comments from Goodreads bros who are like, you don't understand Jonathan Franzen. <laughs> it's like one of the few things that, you know, because normally I post things on Goodreads and it's really just like my library friends who read it. But that one, there's like some bros out there who are want to defend Franzen's honor. And they're Shocking. probably going to find it when I rate this on Goodreads. So I look forward to hearing from them. Yeah. Um, like I said, I had never actually read anything that he had written before, which is probably because I mostly read um, genre fiction or fiction aimed at middle grade and young adult audiences and purposely try to steer away from literary fiction, especially written by white males. That's but a good I, life choice. <laughs> yeah. um, I, my degree, my undergrad degree is in creative writing and... 
creative writing is mostly just doing workshops with all of your other peers. And there is something that we like to call the creative writing workshop story, um, or we liked to call it that anyway, uh, within my friends in the program, which is a story that like is very you know dealing with like cutting edge issues for people like us but like in kind of like a a laid-back fashion because the protagonist who you know shares something with the the writer be it you know they're a white college student or they're the same age or whatever uh, you know, has other like more important existential things on their mind, but also like the question at the core of this problem just keeps coming back. And it's very like lots of talking about nothing except how great the author is. And I just kept as I was reading this thinking of every like shitty workshop story that I had to read in college that's what it felt like to me. And it was torture. I know it was I'm so awful. sorry. <laughs> I feel really responsible for this. I'm, I'm here for it though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was just, it was so off the wall. And so like, I'm going to take every like issue and problem and whatever, and all these different like random things that I'm thinking of, and I'm going to, you know, compact them into a book, you know, that really gives the white male perspective on it. Thank mm-hmm. God. We do not have enough of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think specifically a lot of it was sort of him responding to criticisms he's gotten in the past that he's sexist, misogynist, like, and him being like, no, let me show you guys what that looks like. And so it's kind of slippery because if I did not know so much about Jonathan Franz, like if I had gone into this blind and not knowing who, not knowing who wrote it, I'd be like, oh, this is, you know, kind of like, Lolita or something it's like this really interesting like uh perspective on these repellent men but knowing Jonathan Franz I'm like wait like am I supposed to find them repellent or am I supposed to actually find this heroic I don't quite know yeah I felt that way about basically every character but especially the men like because He's always very upfront in being like, oh, like, you know, they're jackasses and they're terrible and they have all these defects and they're doing stuff only for their own gain. But really, but really, doesn't that make them the most moral of people because they're upfront about that and because there are things that they're seeing in these women that call to them despite the fact that they're shitheads? I think they're the real heroes of the story, and I think you will, too, if you keep reading. Yeah. Well, that's a brief intro to our relationship <laughs> with Jonathan Franzen. I guess let's maybe dig in and try to give a plot summary. But yeah. this book, I gotta warn you guys, this book has, like, 20 different subplots that are sort of linked. And it's gonna be real. It's I don't think it's going to be as confusing as Whisper of Death was. <laughs> but, like... Close. <laughs> yeah, it's like 600 pages long, 500 and something pages long. And you it's can round com- up. It's 583 pages, but it felt like 600. Yeah. Million. And it's divided into like solid sections that tell one particular story. They're not chronological. Some of them have overlapping characters. And it's all just kind of a mess that leaves multiple plot threads just kind of dangling. 
So if we leave something out, there's a 50% chance it's because it did actually happen and we forgot about it, and a 50% chance that it was just never addressed again. Yeah. So our it starts off, our first protagonist is Pip Tyler, whose real name is Purity, which is the name of the book, you guys. <laughs> and Pip is a recent college graduate, recent-ish, um, whose only family and really only friend is her weird, clingy, codependent mother. And when she graduated from college, she graduated with $130,000 of student loan debt. And she took the first job she could get because she found the job interview misleading. And it's as a sales representative for some super sketch like telemarketing company where she makes crap money and her boss is like sexually harassing her all the time. She can't afford rent. So she lives in a squatter house with a whole bunch of other people. This guy named Steven, who is a Catholic mission supporter, mission, missionary mission. I mean, yeah, he works for a charity. Yeah. And Pip has a real, real big crush on Steven but Steven's married, and this is a, a weird, weird sub-subplot. Steven and his wife have adopted a mentally disabled adult named Ramon. Who also yeah. lives in the squatter house. Who also lives in the squatter house, and so Pip sometimes hangs out with Ramon. It's like, they're all, Steven has, has forsaken money. He doesn't use money because it's dirty and corruptive. And the guy who owns the house is Dreyfus, and he, what, he's schizophrenic? He has, I think He has so. a mental illness, and he can't quite hold down a job, and he has concerns about the real world, basically. But he owns the house somehow. Yeah, only kind he, of, I think it's being foreclosed upon. Yes, that's another of the subplots, is that it's yeah. being foreclosed upon, and Pip, you know, feels terrible for him. And I mean, there's some selfishness involved, because she wants to be able to continue to live there, but... Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, like, one of those places where people who are professional protesters gravitate towards, and, um, like... Yeah, he name-drops Occupy, like, six times. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then including a woman named Annegret crashes there, who works for the Sunlight Project, which is basically, like, WikiLeaks, but WikiLeaks <laughs> also exists in the world of this novel. Yeah, and there and the Sunlight Project is set up in direct opposition to WikiLeaks. Yeah, because WikiLeaks leaks things indiscriminately, like they'll just leak whatever, and Sunlight Project only leaks things that are worthy of being leaked or something like that. Yeah, that there there's like some sort of specification that he gives. I don't know. I think it's, yeah, like, he only leaks stuff about, like, bad people who deserve to have their shit leaked. Yeah, it's noble. He, he's right. noble. It's noble organization. And there's a purity of purpose, guys. Come on. Correct. There's a purity yes. of purpose. Because They're... sunlight is the best disinfectant. Correct. <laughs> and Sunlight Project is led by a guy named Andreas Wolf, who everyone, who's, you know, revered as a noble figure, unlike Julian Assange. Yeah, and Annegret has worked with him for a really long time, and she's really obsessively trying to get Pip to join up with their organization and come on a special retreat to their headquarters in Bolivia. 
and like will not leave Pip alone. Pip literally has a man upstairs with no pants on ready to have sex with her. She comes downstairs to get a condom and she's like, no, you have to take this survey. It's super important. Like, because we really need you to come to Bolivia, but first we need to make sure that you're eligible. So I have to ask you all these questions at first Pip. Like, it's just like whatever. And think she's crazy. And then, Oh, also we forgot to say that Pip's mom is a weird recluse figure but she and Pip are really close, but also Pip feels really strangled by her mom. So she's kind of happy to be in the squatter house and have some distance. But she's scared of going to Bolivia because it's too far away and her, her clingy mom won't be able to handle it. But also Pip really wants her mom. Pip's been raised by her single mom and she really wants to know who her dad is just so she can get some money from him. Um, she's very clear, like, she doesn't really want any kind of relationship with him. She would be willing to tolerate Christmas cards once a year, but she really just wants to know who he is so she can get money, and her mom says no. Yeah, so she basically uses the Sunlight Project as a threat, saying, well, either tell my dad, tell me who my dad is, or I'm moving to Bolivia, and you'll never see me anymore, and those are your choices. And her mom, like, throws a tantrum about it. Oh, and also, at some point, Annegret tells Pip, or maybe it's Andre. oh, I think she emails Andreas Wolf, because she's like, I I don't even know who Andreas Wolf is, like, no one knows him, or whatever, I don't know if I can trust him, so I'll email him, and I think it's in those emails that he's like, well, if you work for Sunlight Project, you can use our resources to find out who your dad is. Yeah, and sidebar, in the emails that he sends her an email to essentially say like, you've been accepted to the project. Like you should come join us. And she responds to him like saying some bitchy, obnoxious thing. And he responds with like something like your email made me LOL. No, he says your email was LOL. Oh yes. Right. Right. (laughs) Your email was LOL. And then they continue to use LOL in that. Incorrectly. And at first I was like, maybe this is a sign that, like, Andreas doesn't speak English as a first language or, like, he just doesn't get it. But then Pip accepts that usage without comment and because it's from her point of view. And then she uses it back in that way. And it's really weird because if she had commented on it in some way, then I'd be like, okay, it's a joke. But since she didn't, I'm forced to conclude that Jonathan Franzen does not know how to LOL. Yes. And also forced to conclude that his editor doesn't either. Right. So that's that's kind of uh, the end of that section for the moment. And then we switch over. Did we say that she decides to actually she commits to doing Sunlight Project? Yes. Yes. And then move on. Yes. We we switch over to um, a flashback to Andreas Wolf, the head of the Sunlight Project in East Germany, where he is a youth counselor at a church, and he gives essentially his whole life story about how he is just essentially a disgusting douchebag who preys on young girls. But <sighs> it's portrayed, and this this is one of our dramatic readings, so we can go into it a, a little bit more. I'm really, this is one of the things I'm most confused about, whether or not we're supposed to see him as disgusting. Because he is outright saying, like, oh, well, I won't fuck the ones who are, like, very emotionally disturbed, and I won't fuck the ones who are under 16. So I think I'm doing my best, like, the best that I can. And it, like, obviously that's disgusting, but the way that it's portrayed, I'm kind of like, oh, I don't know. Are we supposed to think? Like, well, surely 
we can't expect him not to fuck any of the teenage girls, right? Like, <laughs> surely this is the most we can expect from an upstanding gentleman, right? <laughs> I genuinely yeah. don't know. It's, it's gross, though. It is gross, and it's, I mean, it's unsettling for exactly that reason, which I think is interesting. Like, this... This is not saying much, but this section on East Germany was the most interesting and successful part of the novel for me. Like, I kind of wish it had just been about that. Yeah. I, I think that would have been an interesting, an interesting book. Like, first of all, I think that period of world history is just super interesting. Um, it tracks Andreas's youth as the son of a very high-ranking East German minister and his wife who is a brilliant but highly troubled and dysfunctional literature professor at a major university in berlin and and it's over a lot of andreas's growing up and how like he was always too smart for his own good and too different and his mother basically let him do whatever he wanted so he just like so he grew up to be a monster like yeah. no no adult has ever interceded to discourage his you know like natural totally selfish totally selfish sociopathic tendencies and yeah, yeah he, he just he goes to like a therapist at one point and the therapist is basically just like the, the therapist is just like, you're terrible, but also yeah. I can't do anything because your parents are too politically powerful. And and I think weirdly, like, that's for him, that's where the seed of this purity idea is planted. Like, he can see what a disgusting, corrupt system he's growing up under and the terrible things it's done to his parents and, like, his mother's parents, like, both died. You're like, giving him way more credit than I did. <laughs> <laughs> But that's what I mean when I say, like, this this section is actually very interesting. Like, that, I find the politics of totalitarian states very interesting. And I think that they are hugely corruptive to their citizens. And, like, I would, I would read the heck out of a book that was, like, Andreas Wolf versus the Stasi. Like, that, that would be interesting to me. But unfortunately... <laughs> so this it, it switches back and forth between how he grew up and how he pushed the envelope again and again and again until he did something so bad that his parents couldn't protect him and essentially they had to disown him to keep him from being arrested where he wrote a poem that was oh my god i can't believe i forgot about this oh my god oh my god he wrote a fantastic poem where when it's in german it spells out something like, I don't know, the implication is that I'm jerking off for the Soviet Union. And I can't remember what the exact words were. I'm gonna, um, you keep talking, I'm gonna flip through and find it, because I can't <laughs> believe I forgot about that, it was amazing. <laughs> so he reads it at a poetry reading because he became a bohemian entirely to get girls, because girls like bohemians and will sleep with him. And read out loud, it's fine, but then he stupidly sells it to a newspaper where they print it, and within, like, seconds of it being printed, the editor of the newspaper is fired, and all of the copies of the newspaper are rescinded and burned, and he's in deep shit. The first, the first letter of each line spells out, oh, I dedicate the most glorious ejaculation 
to your socialism. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he has to, that's why he ends up being the youth counselor at the church, because he has nowhere else to go. So he ends up living at the church in exchange for counseling these youths. And as we touched upon earlier, counseling to him is mostly holding group therapy sessions and then sleeping with willing, damaged teenage girls. And he, there's like a line where he like says, I take my payment in pussy. In teenage pussy. In teenage pussy. And it's just gross. But he meets a girl in the church one day who's crying and she's the most beautiful girl he's ever seen in his life. And he sees beautiful girls every day. Yeah, but she's just like stunningly beautiful and she's crying and he asks how he can help her and she says that her stepfather is is he actually abusing her at that point or is he just like I think she's real demure about what she'll actually say but I think that is implied yeah so either he's actually abusing her at that point or he's making it very clear that he is going to start sexually abusing her soon because he finds her so attractive and there she comes back again and again to try and get help but won't really let him help her and finally he convinces her that the only thing because she won't let him help her because her stepfather is an informant to the state and she fears that if she were to speak out against him because he's so highly connected it'll be put on her or will be put on her mother Oh, yeah. and her mother is mentally ill or something. She's an addict. She's, she's, a, she's, yeah, an she's addict, a nurse and she's addicted to painkillers. And she steals them from the hospital. Yeah. And she doesn't want anyone to find out about that. So Because moms uh, are the worst, right, guys? Yeah. Moms. They're all terrible. What he ends up doing is once it gets to a breaking point, he plans with her to murder this guy and hide his body in his parents' summer house that they never use. And, like, that's just, that's that's how it escalates. He just says, yeah, like, tell him that you want to, you'll finally sleep with him, but it's got to be somewhere special. Give him this address. Come out here. I'll be waiting to murder him. We'll bury him in the ground, and we'll be able to be together. And then they do that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh And, like, the consequences, he cannot understand why the consequences are the way they are. Like he has a completely wrong idea right. of of how of what her response is going to be to it long term. Right, because he's kind of like, oh, we'll get this out of the way, and then I can. Well, I think she's only like fifteen or something, so he's like, okay, well, we'll like wait a year, and then also that will get suspicion off of us. But we'll wait a year, and then we can totally fuck. But then they meet up again, and she's like, I'm sorry, I'm like too upset at the sight of you. I can't deal with this, and like, like a normal human, right. And he's just like, I don't, I thought we'd fuck. Like, I don't. <laughs> why, why are you in Leipzig? Like, why? Come on. He's so upset by it that he can't fuck any of the other teenage girls anymore. He just, like, lies in his room and doesn't even counsel teens. And this is right around the time that the fall of the Soviet Union. So there's a lot of murmurings that, you know, the wall is going to come down. And he is concerned that if that were to happen... He thinks that correctly that the only reason that he has not been investigated for this is because of his parents. And if the government is to be deposed and a new regime comes in, they might reopen the case and come after him. So he doesn't want socialism to end because he could get in trouble for the murder he did. (laughs) 
Right. <laughs> Which would oh. suck. Yeah. Um, that would be terrible. So eventually, when it becomes clear that, you know, the end is near, he calls in one last favor from his mother, who he hasn't seen in seven years since she kicked him out, to please have his father steal his file so that he'll know, you know, if they actually knew, if they were coming after him, what they know. And his father's called in too many favors, but is able to get him one last, is able to to eke out one last favor and gets Andreas access to the building where the, the archives are kept and he takes the the a carbon copy of his file and tries to to leave the archives with it and in the process like because they're trying to stop him and trying to, to stop him he um essentially like ends up at a part of the fence where there's a tv crew and acts as if he is like liberating the files from the evil soviets and he's on the side of good and spreading information and ending the lies and it gets like nationally broadcast and everyone thinks that he's this hero when really he just didn't want the police to know that he did a murder to try and get in a 15 year old girl's pants Hooray! Democracy. <laughs> That's what it's all about, man. And that ends that chapter, which does it explicitly state that he's going to go on to start the Sunlight Project, or is it implied but not gone into further? I think it might just be implied. Well, because we already know Andreas Wolf's name, so like we yeah. already know that he will do that. Yeah. But So that section ends, and then we move on to the third section, which is about... Layla, who's a journalist, and her boss slash boyfriend, Tom, and her husband, who's a novelist, a shitty novelist. (laughs) Who wanted to write a long, important book. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But he's paralyzed. Yes. I, I also thought this was... There's a lot of things in here that I really think could be interesting and good. Like this whole dynamic that Layla and Charles and Tom have where like they had Layla and Charles had been like totally going to get a divorce and then Charles was in a car accident and got paralyzed and Layla was like, "Well, fuck, like now I can't, you know, now I can't leave him." Um but also like they set up this weird dynamic where sometimes she- does she stay at his house sometimes or just yeah she stays sometimes yeah and and kind of like sets up his nurses yeah like she coordinates all his care yeah and she's explicit that like she'd wanted to have a child but they ended up not having one but now paralyzed charles is her child which is fucked up but yeah interesting yeah. Um, but they all work at a, it, it's a blog or something, right? It's not like a print newspaper. Yeah. It's, I think it's more than a blog. I think it's like an online only publication. But yeah. But basically a blog. Yeah. And it's um, important. It's important, yes. Kate. And Tom founded it because um, his ex-father-in-law left him like $10 million in his will or something. And he used that to found the paper and, or blog, website, whatever. Yeah. And they, Pip Tyler is an intern there. And, you know, it's the same Pip Tyler from before. And she gets them a photograph, right? Of yes. the Of a bomb. A, yeah, a nuclear yeah. missile on yeah. the back of a, like a pickup truck. 
Yeah. Yes. And it's a flash forward, and we don't know yet how Pip came to be there, because when we last checked in with her, she... Was on her way to Bolivia. Yes. And now she's in Colorado. Yeah, so Tom and, and Layla essentially are trying to, like, protect her because the photo, they're afraid that, I don't know. There could be, like, legal trouble, I guess. Yeah, or something. But the long and short of it is that, like, Tom and Pip start, like, hanging out together and all this stuff. And Layla, like, hates Pip because of it. Yeah, because well, women she's... are jealous. Because obviously, oh, yes. like, a 22-year-old who's hanging out with an older man wants to fuck him. Yeah. Well, and Layla has been away. Like, it's not so much that Tom and Pip are hanging out. It's that oh, Layla's been right. out. She's oh, been right, off right. on assignment in West Texas, like, trying to interview these people who uh, were in possession of this bomb. Yeah, to figure and, like, out the actual story. Yeah, and, like, there's a lot... There's That part is actually kind of interesting, too. Like, Yeah, and um, I like how good a journalist Layla is and how she, like, knows that. Yes, she's yeah. very competent. That was, that was one thing that I also... I liked that characterization. Like, I thought that she was believable in her complexity and... Um, and I, and I really enjoyed seeing her, I enjoyed seeing her mind at work, guys. Um, (laughs) um, and then she goes to DC and she interviews that Senator and the Senator is like, Oh, the story is even bigger than, you know, they're, you know, my (laughs) sisters-in-law were murdered. And I'm like, the sisters-in-law of a senator were abducted and murdered and that's not a huge national <laughs> story okay <sighs> so then she comes home having been completely immersed in the story and all of her amazing research that she's doing for tom's magazine which like she acknowledges how weird it is that they're a couple but she's also his employee like there's all these super weird and uncomfortable and problematic powerful male less powerful but arguably more talented female combinations yeah they're sure um yeah so she comes home after reporting the hell out of this story and immediately knows something weird is going on with tom and pip but she's wrong about what right yes um because it is revealed that Tom, that the 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 ex-wife whose father enabled Tom to to fund this website was in fact Pip's mother. Dun, dun, and dun. <laughs> uh, she that Tom is most likely Pip's father, and he's like he's like kind of fucked up about the fact that she that like circumstance brought them to this and neither of them knew it, right? Yeah, well, because don't doesn't he then think that Pip knows and that she came here intentionally like to spy or like yeah because mm-hmm. otherwise it is too big of a coincidence he, I think he kind of can't believe it yeah but Pip doesn't know at that point no and the other thing that that he that we find out from Tom is that you know Pip's mother his Pip's Pip's grandfather Tom's ex-father-in-law was not the only one with money Pip's mother has a bazillion dollars, like I think a literal billion dollar fund, trust trust fund fund in her name, but because she broke away from her parents, she won't acknowledge it or use it. Right. Because she she lives in basically poverty. I think she works as a grocery checkout lady in, in a mountain cabin. 
Yeah. She works on her endeavor, guys. And on her endeavor, correct. <laughs> her unspecified endeavor. Jesus. <laughs> Kate, she's an artist. <laughs> it's very important and pure. Please do not forget that. Extremely pure. And what is it, guys? Do you remember the name that she goes by? Who? Uh, Pip's mother. Oh, well, her real name is Annabelle. Right. But the name that she's chosen for herself is Penelope. Oh, right. Which is the most legendarily faithful wife in all of Western literature. Like, she wants you to know how pure she is. (laughs) And weirdly, she wants Tom to know, too. Yeah. Um, Does anything else important happen in this book? In this... (laughs) (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Nothing important happens in this book. (laughs) In this part of this book. Now I think we can move on, because then we go back to chronologically before this in the book, we go back to Pip and the Sunlight Project, um, where Andreas Wolf is obviously like this charismatic cult leader type figure, and pretty much everybody, oh no, in the Sunlight Project, boys work in IT and the girls work in research or whatever. Like, and, recruitment and stuff, too, right? Yeah. And all the girls are just fascinated with Andreas. And, like, if you get attention from him, then everyone else is jealous of you. And pretty quickly it's established that Pip is Andreas's favorite, so everybody fucking hates her. And... Which was, sidebar, also why everybody at her old job hated her. Because even though she was a shitty salesperson, because her shitty boss had a crush on her... And thought she was hot, she got away with a lot of shit. Right, that's true. But yeah, but despite the fact that he is like super into her and super giving her preferential treatment and that they had this sort of flirtation going via email before she came down, she does not sleep with him. She won't sleep with him. But then she does. Yeah. Well, no, she doesn't, but no. she lets him eat her out. Yeah. But then she like shoves him away. Right. Like, yeah. Twice. Right. Two times that happens. Yeah, she is just not into it. So eventually he gets fed up and sends her sends her away to Denver, where we just saw her, yeah, right? And, and yeah. what we learn is that he has sent her with some spyware to install on Tom's computer so that they'll get all his data and they can leak whatever's important. And also he sends her with the tip about the bomb or something. Or yeah, the photo. he's... He's got the information. He's got that photo. And he's like, well, you know, I know Tom and I know I know Layla by reputation. She's going to figure this story out. No problem. And also, I think it's pretty clear that he's figured out that Pip's father, that Tom is Pip's father. Like, Right. So, yeah. So it's not a coincidence that, that she's no. gone to Tom. But Pip doesn't know that. Right. And he, well, it's like a big, long revenge con yeah for him and he also fears tom greatly like tom is the one guy who knows who could yeah could bring andreas down right because oh do we know this yet or does this come later we don't know it yet oh i thought we knew that i thought i thought that like i thought that andreas's fear of tom is alluded to in this section he like says something about like there was one american who knew his terrible story because i think that's also when he doesn't want any photos to get out andreas of like him and pip together because he doesn't want it to seem like he's fucking girls from his little cult even though he is or wants to yeah but tom is like the one person he's afraid of but we don't know why yet right 
Yeah. And we won't yet because the next section is a deeper flashback to Tom and Annabelle, Pip's mother, and their relationship, um, which is really strange. Yeah. And they met they met in college. In college or after? Uh, he's an undergraduate and she's a graduate student. So he's an undergrad at Penn and she's a like a film graduate student at Tyler College of Art, which is also in Philadelphia. Okay. And, um, she, you know, she's beautiful. They have this intense relationship. She is an heiress and doesn't want to spend any of that money. And she, she, there's all these weird things that she does that Tom just kind of goes along with because like, she's so beautiful and he's captivated. And like, she will only have sex when it's a full moon. And she wants him to pee sitting down because it's not fair otherwise. (laughs) And she, she has an eating disorder, but they never call it that. But But that doesn't really come into play until later, until after they're married. Yeah. And, like, they're living in in New York, and she's really struggling with this project. Yeah. And he's, like, working. He's managed, you know, like, super speedily to become extremely successful as a journalist, like, having worked for Philadelphia Magazine and then, like, for Esquire. Yeah, and she's jealous of his success. Mm Mm-hmm. And she's, she's also working has, on like some crazy project that is like one of those things that never is probably never going to get finished. But, you know, she keeps referring to as like her great project or something. Yeah, which is that she wants to make a film where she spends, what is it, 10 minutes on each cubic centimeter of her body? Yeah. It was such a ridiculous idea uh, that weird. I was just like, I'm bored even thinking about it like yeah, that's a like terrible a, idea for it's like a parody project. of what you would think that like a feminist film student might do or <laughs> yes totally <laughs> and then oh but also because she's the creative one like tom writes a novella or something and she forbids him to do that like he's only allowed to do nonfiction, and anything artistic is like what she does but all she does is her weird film yeah, yeah. She, she she has a lot of rules many of which she doesn't explain until Tom has violated them in some way. Mm-hmm. And and they're mostly about being pure. Yes. Yeah. Which again, guys, title of this book is what? <laughs> Let's just all be reminded yeah. of this in very important fact. In case you forgot. <laughs> but Tom goes, he gets an assignment to go like essentially cover the, the end of communism in Germany so he goes over to do that, and there he meets Andreas Wolf. And Andreas tells him that that's when he tells him, right? Though that's he tells him about the story, but it's not what really happened. Wait, I'm sorry. What? Yeah, I'm confused. about what story? He uh, he tells him he tells him about doesn't he he tell him about how he he murdered what's her name stepfather? Yeah, Andreas Andreas tells Tom about it, and then. He needs Tom's help to move the body. Yeah, that's so, what it is. Okay, yeah, yeah. So Tom goes with him. I think because Tom has a car and he needs that. I think is why. Yeah, he needs the he needs a car to move the body because his parents are going to sell the dacha. Yes. To some developers, and, and he's like, the- "Oh, time's a wasting. We need to move this body, or I'm going to get found out. Even though I removed my file from the Stasi." Yes, and Andreas is like. 
as previously described, he's like very charming, very charismatic. And then Tom's like, yeah, I'll sounds good. Let's go, buddy. <laughs> but why not? After they do it, then he feels weird about it and he leaves without talking to un- cuz yeah, cuz it's weird. Yeah. And he leaves without talking to Andreas again even though they were supposed to meet for breakfast or something. So he like stands up Andreas and he's Andreas is real concerned about it. Yes. Um and he, he um goes back to New York and after the war. Yeah. <laughs> guys. <laughs> He is nonstop, guys. (laughs) And you know what we didn't even talk about is the reason that he goes to Germany. Like, the reason he gets this assignment is that he speaks German because his mother is from East Germany. Oh, right. Yeah, we did not talk about that. Much like how Alexander Hamilton got his assignment as Washington's aide-de-camp because he spoke French because his mother was a French Huguenot. That's right. (laughs) exactly the same you guys (laughs) but spoiler alert everyone alexander hamilton was way better (laughs) in everything everything i mean i think andreas wolf is a better hacker though (laughs) probably but i feel that if alexander hamilton were alive today there oh yeah i mean he would watch some youtube videos and learn it all in like 10 seconds (laughs) (laughs) but since he's dead yes Spoiler yes. alert for the end of Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Andreas Wolf. <laughs> no, we're done with him. We're on Tom. <laughs> okay. Tom goes back, uh, gets a divorce from Annabelle, and yeah. her dad is like, hey, I really like you. I really want to give you some money. Like, I don't know why Annabelle won't take it. Just take some goddamn money. And Tom's like, fine. Yeah, sounds good. And he does. And then um, Annabelle disappears. Yeah, changes her name, goes off, as we know, to her mountain recluse cabin. Yes. And um, Tom goes on to fund his Denver website newspaper. Mm-hmm. Right. And the reason that he's in Denver is that's where he grew up. Yes. Like he goes back there to take care of his mother. Mothers, you guys. They're the and- ones. They are, and they, um, yeah, bodies are also the worst. I feel like bodies run a close second to mothers, but since everyone's body emerges from a mother's body, Uh, I guess mothers are ultimately totally Double whammy to mothers. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Plus mothers have bodies themselves. (laughs) How dare they? Oh, there's so much body horror in this book, guys. I know. There's so much masturbation in this book. Oh, oh, oh. There's so much, oh, just vile, repellent, horrible (laughs) descriptions of bodies and the things that they do in this book. Like, Mm. for example, we're about to return to Andreas and his mother in Germany. Uh, And uh, previously, it was implied that the reason Andreas masturbates so much is because when he was a child, his mother showed him her vagina. And we got, like, a description of that situation. We did. We sure did. Because, guys, mothers are the worst. And his mother... And, oh, this is when he's actually with Annegret, the beautiful girl who he killed for. Yes. He manages Uh. to inveigle her into a relationship, which is weird and messed up. 
Yep. But then she ends up getting on like a house on fire with his mother. Unexpected. Because I think he originally wants to introduce them to drive Annegret away because now he's tired of her. Yeah. And that is not what he is going for. And he is unhappy with this development. Because now the women in his life like each other and they're both talking to him. How oh, dare they? It could be worse. <laughs> And they're together for, like, a really long time, right? Like, five years. Yeah. It felt like five years that I was reading it, so who even knows? <laughs> Too long. Um, God, what else so, even happens? Then, does anything else significant happen? In my, in my notes from that section, I don't quite understand what plot-wise happened there, except that it reiterated that mothers are the worst. Well, I think it, it kind of covered how he ended up becoming like you know famous for leaking all of this stuff project yeah and how he's like super paranoid that tom oh that he's just like waiting for him yeah yeah to to betray his knowledge of the murder that he did so once he figures, he does more deep background research on Tom and figures out who Tom was married to and figures out that his wife, his ex-wife had a daughter and that there's a daughter out there somewhere. So he does like computer searches and something. Essentially, we find out that he figures out who Pip is and purposely sends Annegret to find Pip to recruit her to join the Sunlight Project. Oh, right. Which is where we started. Yes. Right. And basically, like, he uses facial recognition software. That's right. Like, they're right. And, like, do you guys remember the part about the Sunlight Project where they were in Bolivia and there was, it was just a couple of lines about how it's entirely staffed with all these beautiful, highly educated young people and... Like, instead of, you know, passing notes or, like, texting each other to set up assignations, you can only, like, none, nothing is private. Oh, right, because everybody reads each other's emails. Exactly. So, like, basically, he has set up another East German state. Like, he doesn't know how to, like, for all that he wants this organization to be shedding sunlight onto, you know, secrets, and secrets are bad, and we need purity. Like, all he's doing is recreating the same um, surveillance state set up in his own organization like he doesn't know how to yeah know, he doesn't know how to do how to do that 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 thing that he's purporting to want to do even though it's completely driven by selfish impulses yeah Ugh, Ugh. garbage um, but so then we like skip forward to after all of the previous sections of the book and Tom figures out that Pip cuz she he confronted Pip earlier and she admitted that she was like spy sent to spy on him by Andreas and he decides to like just like fucking go out there and be like what the fuck do you want from me and Andreas is completely shocked because he assumed that Tom had immediately like told everyone about the time he did a murder and he hadn't surprise. <laughs> so he's like, a man, and men are not the worst. No, they're they're they keep their promises. Um, so he he like super villain lures Tom onto like a, a seaside cliff or something. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, and then like 
tries to taunt him into killing him. Yeah, he sure does. And then, like, Tom's, like, doesn't kill him, so he decides to kill himself instead. Right. Obviously. (laughs) And also, they agree, like, Tom's like, look, I'll never tell anybody, but the condition is, like, you have to leave Pip alone and, like, not tell her things. And Andreas is like, okay, but before he kills himself, he emails a document to Pip about all of that. That he got off of Tom's hard drive that is Tom's memoir of his crazy screwed up relationship with Pip's mother. Yes. And then Tom calls Pip and is like, hey, if you got an email from Andreas, like, don't read that shit. He was real messed up. Just just go ahead and delete that, Pip. And she's like, okay. But she reads it fucking obviously. Yes. And she goes to the inheritance fund manager and gets some information and kind of rearranges things to save the squatter house. And that's basically, like... Yeah, that, she, she saves the squatter's house and she somehow magically now is able to deal with her mother. Yeah, so then she gets Tom and brings him to Annabelle as like a trick, basically, to make them talk to each other. And also she brings Jason, the boy who she was fucking at the very beginning of the book. And it was really awkward because she left in the middle to go talk to Annegret forever. But they're, like, back together, and she has a normal job. And so it ends with Tom and Annabelle fighting and her and Jason, like, outside of the squatter cabin dancing to the Soul Sister song. They Well, they do that at a bar. and oh, then I guess. And, then they, and then they go home, and it's kind of like, shrug, the olds are fighting. Right. What are you going to do? Yeah, and that that's how it ends. <laughs> the end. So, yeah, I didn't hate this as much as Kate did. There were definitely, like, chunks that I kind of enjoyed reading. And I'm sort of, I mean, even looking at this, it's very convoluted, but I'm kind of impressed by how it ties together. But also, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm really sad slash angry because I do think that Jonathan Franzen is has skill as a writer for sure. And I just feel like he decided not to make any decisions when he was writing this book. He's like, no, I can totally include all these things and it will hang together beautifully because I have this big, important theme of purity and I'm going to, and I, I totally agree with you about this being his sort of like, I'll show you what misogyny looks like in prose form. Um, But to me, that really doesn't hold together in part because it is so long. And in part because I feel like anybody who has ever watched the West Wing ought to know better than to do that. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I just, there was one of you in our, um, in our planning document for this episode talked about, uh, like quoted from a review that said that like clearly like he understands the internet and I just thought <laughs> no nope. this this book is 560 <laughs> pages of him showing just how little he understands the internet and like, he's heard of the internet yeah yeah sure. I mean he knows it exists obviously but and like he knows that it's ruining culture because of the youths <laughs> correct yes the youths and their impurity yes slash their dogged adherence to the concept of purity 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just think he's, like, trying to make... So I think Jonathan Franzen is sort of like now tragically known as like David Foster Wallace's friend who wasn't as good as David Foster Wallace (laughs) at writing. And I think he is just like, no, I can do it. I can do an infinite jest. Just watch me do an infinite jest. But about women and the internet. Oh, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. (laughs) But there's some tennis at the end, guys. Right. Right, yeah, I I thought of that with the tennis. I was like, this feels pasted in. <laughs> yes, I, I thought, oh, he like, mm, that's sad. That's that's sad. It's sad. Yeah. And he's. I think he's letting a form of self-awareness stand in for actually doing work to resolve, like, character flaws. Yeah, let's go with that. Yeah. We've talked about this book for fucking ever. Let's move on to our dramatic readings and just yeah. give you guys a Good sample of, of what shit we're talking about. <laughs> I'm going to start with probably the grossest part in the whole book, although I'm, I don't want to make such a superlative claim without really thinking about it because there's a lot of gross-ass shit in here. <laughs> but this is from our bro Andreas when he was working as a counselor to troubled youth in a Catholic church. <clears throat> The girls practically lined up outside his office door to drop their pants for him, and if they could plausibly claim to be 16, he helped them with their buttons. This, too, of course, was ironic. He rendered a valuable service for the state, coaxing antisocial elements back into the fold, speaking the truth while enjoying them to be careful... Oh, enjoining them to be careful about doing it themselves, and was paid for his service in teen pussy. His unspoken agreement with the state had been in place for so long, for more than six years, that he assumed he was safe. Nevertheless, he continued to take the precaution of avoiding friendships with men. He could tell, for one thing, that the other men around the church envied his way with the youngsters, and therefore disapproved of it. Avoiding men also made actuarial sense, since there were probably ten male informers for every female. The actuarial odds further argued for preferring females in their teens, because the spy runners were too sexist to expect much of a schoolgirl. The biggest drawback of men, though, was that he couldn't have sex with them. Couldn't cement that deep complicity. Although his appetite for girls seemed boundless, He prided himself on never knowingly having slept with anyone below the age of consent or anyone who'd been sexually abused. He was skilled at identifying the latter, sometimes by the fecal or septic imagery they used to describe themselves, sometimes merely by a certain telltale way they giggled, and over the years his instincts had led to successful prosecutions. When a girl who'd been abused came on to him, he didn't walk away. He ran away. He had a phobia of associating himself with predation. The sort of things that predators did, groping in crowds, lurking near playgrounds, forcing themselves on nieces, enticing with candy or trinkets, made him murderously angry. He only took girls who were more or less of sound mind and freely wanted him. That was the sound of my eyes rolling really hard, guys. Uh, I have to go. Uh, God, what a gross. 
And I just, I mean, maybe, maybe it's supposed to be a social commentary, but at the end of the day, like, it's just so fucking gross that I don't care. It's still gross. Right. So I don't care if he's trying to be clever. He's still writing about a smug, intellectual dude taking advantage of emotionally abused teenage girls. Yep. Yeah. And congratulating himself for... For only taking the emotionally and not the physically abused ones. Right, right. Oh, gross. Yeah. Our next dramatic reading has an unwarranted call-out of Jonathan Saffron Foer. What the fuck? And uh, in it, Sophie will play Charles, who is the paralyzed Jonathan Franzen stand-in character. Kate will be Pip, and I will be Layla, the journalist, slash Charles's wife ish are you a reader pip do you read books is the sight of so many books in one room at all frightening to you i like books good good and are you a big fan of jonathan savoir faire so many of my students are you mean the book about animal welfare the very one he's a novelist too i'm told i read the animal book So many Jonathans, a plague of literary Jonathans. If you read only one The New York Times book review, you'd think it was the most common male name in America. Synonymous with talent, greatness, ambition, vitality. He arched an eyebrow at Pip. And what about Zadie Smith? Great stuff, right? Charles. Sit with me. Have a drink. A drink is more or less exactly what we don't need. And you've got stories to read. Before my long and restful night's sleep, we were going. We were doing lines as long and fat as milkshake straws. The flaw in this simile, can we spot it, Pip? Can you tell me what's less than airtight about this simile? Is there a difference between milkshake straws and other straws? Good point, good point. The hobgoblin of spurious specificity and the tubularity of a drinking straw, the dull sheen of its plastic, the suspicion creeps in that the author is personally unacquainted with the physical properties of powder cocaine, or that he's confused the substance with a tool for nasally delivering the substance. Or he's just trying too hard. Or trying too hard. Yes, I'm going to write those very words in the margin. Would you believe that I have colleagues who won't make marginal notations? I actually care about this student. I think he could do better if he could only see what he's doing wrong. Tell me, do you believe in the soul? I don't like to think about it. Charles. He gave Layla a look of comically sorrowful reproach. Must she deny him, the wheelchair dude, his iota of pleasure? The soul, he said to Pip is a chemical sensation. What you see lying on this sofa is a glorified enzyme. Every enzyme has its special job to do. It spends its life looking for the specific molecule it's designed to interact with. And can an enzyme be happy? Does it have a soul? I say yes to both questions. What the enzyme you see lying here was made to do is find bad prose, interact with it, and make it better. That's what I've become. A bad prose correcting enzyme floating in my cell here. He nodded at Layla, and she worries that I'm not happy. Women. <laughs> yeah. The worst. So, again, like, it's kind of self-aware, but also, like, and also, what's with the Zadie Smith call? Like, do they have a beef? I actually Googled that, and I did not find anything, but maybe they have one now. Yeah, it's like, I feel like it's kind of like self-aware but in the like haha like look how self-aware i am way as opposed to a more subtle self-awareness 
if that makes any sense. Yeah. There's yeah. the this, I don't know. I'm not super bothered by the book's lack of subtlety. It's more like, no, I am bothered by that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. I retract that, that half-baked thought. All right. The last dramatic reading we're going to do is a flashback to Annabelle and Tom's marriage, with Annabelle and Tom being Pip's parents. Uh, I will be playing the role of Tom, and Sophie will be playing the role of Annabelle. And I'm going to do my best to get through this without cracking up entirely. Here goes. A word about the toilet, she'd said one day early on. I always raise the seat. That's the problem. I thought the problem was guys who think they can aim through the seat. I appreciate that you're not one of them, but there's a spatter. I wipe the rim, too. Not always. Okay, room for improvement. But it's not just on the rim. It's on the underside of the rim and on the tile. Little drops. I'll wipe there, too. You can't wipe the whole bathroom every time, and I don't like the smell of old urine. I'm a guy. What am I supposed to do? Sit down, she suggested shyly. I knew this wasn't right. Couldn't be right. But she was hurt by my silence and became silent herself in a more grievous way with a stony look in her eyes, and her hurt mattered more to me than my rightness. I told her I would either be more careful or start sitting down, but she could sense that I was resentful, that my submission was grudging, that there could be no place in our union unless we truly agreed about everything. She began to weep, and I began the long search for the deeper cause of her distress. I have to sit down, she said finally. Why shouldn't you sit down? I can't, I can't not see where you spatter, and every time I see it, I think how unfair it is to be a woman. You can't even see how unfair it is. You have no idea. No idea. She proceeded to cry torrentially. The only way I could get her to stop was to become, right then and there, a person who experienced as keenly as she did the unfairness of my being able to pee standing up. I made this adjustment to my personality, and a hundred others like it in our early months together, and henceforth I peed sitting down whenever she could hear me. When she couldn't, though, I peed in her sink. The part of me that did this was the part that ultimately ruined us and saved me. So, I don't even know. I mean, (laughs) it's a parody of, like, feminism, but what is the... Like, what does he want me to understand from that? That women complain about everything, men have it hard too, and women are the worst, especially mothers. But all women have the potential of being mothers, so we should just go ahead and say all women are the worst. Sounds about right. Yeah, although Annabelle is... Yeah, she is pretty bad. Yeah, no, she is terrible. (laughs) She is the worst, but there's no real person that would be like this. I mean, unless it's just like severely unchecked mental illness, but it's. I think we're meant to understand that she has borderline personality disorder. But there's never any. It's just kind of like, oh, that's like her obsession with purity. She's just, she's just too intense. Like, she's so extreme, but it's not really responded to as if like. Oh, you actually need help. Yeah, I can't understand why that, like, why Tom never says to her, you know, a lot of your behavior is really self-destructive and it's also hurting, it's hurting me and it's hurting our relationship. I, yeah. Because Sophie, if if he says that, then she's not going to fuck him. Oh, that's true. And then what's the point? What's the point of anything? (laughs) Yeah, you get it. (laughs) 
<laughs> the one thing I will say that I took away from this book is that I use like way too many italics in my writing. And I know that I'm self aware about that. I try to stop, but you know, whatever. And I'm glad to see that he uses a million italics all the time because it makes me feel better about how frequently I use them. I mean, I don't know if this is the bar that you want to use for anything. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I yeah, but you know. But he's a successful, very important writer. That's yeah. true. He is very important. Who was nonetheless not nominated for the National Book Award. And I write about mutants and now founding fathers kissing on the internet. So... As they should. Yeah, great. And, and neither of you guys has won a National Book Award for that. So, <laughs> so great. That's totally fine. Let's play Would You Rather. Okay. <laughs> Would you rather be a mountain recluse or live in the squatter house in Oakland? Um, I have a really good data plan on my phone, so I'd be a mountain recluse. I would also be a mountain recluse because even though I am terrified of being a mountain recluse, I think I would find the people in that squatter house totally intolerable. Yeah. I don't, I mean, it would, like, I like San Francisco. It would be kind of nice to live in, in Oakland in the area. But ultimately, I think I am going to go Mountain Recluse as well. I mean, you could catch up at a lot of reading in that cabin. That's true. And I've take, got, got like, lot. healthful walks and stuff. Well, yeah. I, yeah. I might become sort of an outdoor person, maybe. And never interact with men. <laughs> yes. uh, and I said the data thing because when we were putting together Would You Rather earlier, we noted that a, a major drawback to being a mountain recluse is that uh, there, she doesn't have any Wi-Fi in her cabin. But, you know, like I said, I have a good data plan. So I'll have all my books. I'll have time to write. I'll have no people that I don't like around me. I won't live in weird squalor in a mattress on the floor with a bunch of strangers although they do have internet so it's true but like i said good data plan on my phone so (laughs) that'll work yeah because otherwise without specifying that there's no internet in the cabin then it is obvious it is obviously that one but even without it i i think yeah we're all unanimous that we will go be mountain recluses yes together okay next up would you rather do a murder for a beautiful teenage girl or work for the sunlight project for a charismatic weirdo. Okay. Question number one. If I work for the sunlight project for a charismatic weirdo, do I have to fuck him? No. Okay. Even, um, even Pip doesn't. Yes. Well, but you would probably want to, cause he's so charismatic. Mm. You would want to, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> it is required. Not to is a thought crime. <laughs> I'd probably work for the Sunlight Project. I don't know that I'd be good at doing a murder. Like, not... <laughs> I mean, maybe a murder of passion if someone were to insult Lin-Manuel Miranda in front of me. (laughs) (laughs) Totally excusable. No jury would convict. Hey, Kate, I heard somebody said Hamilton was first drafty. How do you respond? (laughs) (laughs) This is a dawn. (laughs) I live two hours from Weehawken. We can do this. (laughs) Okay, great. Um, I will not play audio of this at your trial. I will... (laughs) Bury it. Appreciate. <laughs> I'll just turn around so we can have deniability. 
anyone who's listening to this who hasn't listened to Hamilton is going to be so confused at like 50% of the things we've said. Yeah, well, well, that's not our target audience, Kate. Yeah, no. Not our demo. (laughs) So... Yeah, I, I would also go for Sunlight Project, um, especially if I'd get to go to Bolivia. I've never been. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, I loved the descriptions of Bolivia. Yeah, let's, and, let's look, go there. I, let's totally go there. I would also work for the Sunlight Project. I, um, yeah, I, I can't see myself committing a murder for a beautiful teenage girl. Like, <laughs> I mean, just... she's very beautiful. I don't know uh, if that's clear. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm sure. And I'm sure that I would appreciate that. Like, you know, aesthetically. beauty, beauty yeah. aesthetically, it's fine. But like, mm, yeah, I would ra- I would rather not commit a terrible crime that would weigh forever on my conscience. Although working for the Sunlight Project, you are still committing crimes. Just Oh, not, that's true. It's not literally murder. Yeah, I feel like there's a distinction to be drawn there. Yeah, agreed. All right, so we're all unanimous. Uh, (laughs) Last one. Would you rather find a romantic partner by shadily spying on them and tricking them into joining your secret organization? It's not really a secret. Your weird (laughs) organization. Or find a partner on ChristianMingle.com. Um, well, obviously, ChristianMingle.com. They are our beloved sponsors. And, you know, because I am a good Christian, I appreciate the Christian moral of uh, honesty, Don't do I murders. Of don't do murders. And <laughs> of not lying to get someone to go out with me, except for how, you know, I'd be lying about how I'm Christian. But that's forgivable. Yeah, I agree with Kate 100%, of course. Yeah, I think I'm going to go that route as well. That I just, I feel like a relationship founded on shady spying and trickery, the shady spying especially. Yeah, not going to go great. No, no. All right, wow. So we were all unanimous on all of these would you rathers. Yeah, and if I, like a secular Jew, could find a partner on ChristianMingle.com, like (laughs) that person would be an amazingly open-minded, wonderful person. Right. My husband might object, but but you this know is purely hypothetical. So. We're feminists. We don't care what men think. <laughs> Especially, yeah. <laughs> Especially if he pees standing up. What a yeah, monster. That is unforgivable. How dare you? <laughs> I've never met your husband, and I feel a little uncomfortable about this. Let's move on. <laughs> I'm sure Lovely he's great. <laughs> uh, let's move on to reader's advisory. First of all, obviously, if you are interested in stories about beautiful women fucking powerful men, Hamilton the Musical, check it out. (laughs) But women who are powerful in their own, like, intellect. Yeah. And and also, like, socially higher themselves. Mm -hmm. Like, because Eliza was from a very wealthy family. Yeah. Yeah. So he married up, for sure. Just like Pip Tyler. That's right. Know it. That's right. She doesn't realize. Anyway, so So, one thing I would like to say is uh, I think someone out there should please go read the corrections by Jonathan Franzen and come back and let me know how it was. Because I remember liking it, but I'm scared that it's not actually good now because it's been a while. Yeah. Well, I have some I have some suggestions. So for people who like really long, involved novels with large casts 
And if you like that kind of book and you want to read one that is actually about a young woman who is grappling with power and sexuality and family and all of her uneasy feelings about those things, I definitely recommend Hild, H-I-L-D, by Nicola Griffith, um, which came out a couple of years ago and is about the historical St. Hilda of Whitby, the early years. Um, It's the first in what will either be a two or three book series and it's set in very very early britain and it is beautiful and moving and fascinating and i think does a much more nuanced job of dealing with a lot of interesting themes so i like those and i like that rather and i'm really looking forward to the sequel and i think that franzen was trying to write like a spy novel but with like capital l literary themes and i think if you want to read something with lots of glamorous locations which this actually like it does have uh we didn't really talk about that besides bolivia but there's a lot of interesting he does a really nice job with uh like geographic geographic yeah geographic descriptions um like watch a spy movie Mm -hmm. (laughs) i'm I'm on record as endorsing james bond movies blanket so yes. if, if you oh, want a particular Bond movie suggestion, tweet me. I'll talk to you for longer than you want about James Bond movies. <laughs> Absolutely. And please come talk to me. If you've seen Spectre, I want to talk about the costumes in Spectre. Oh, I, I'm, I put a pin in everybody. that because I'm, I'm seeing Spectre over Thanksgiving with my brother and then I'll come back and talk to you. Please do. Please do. Yeah, I just I think spy spy movies and spy novels do a much better job of dealing with a lot of those societal issues and anxieties that he thinks he's addressing successfully mm-hmm. in this book. So I have a couple others, but we'll put those on the website. Yeah, which is wearspessellers.com. Um, if you're looking for something that will sound prestigious and like if people see you reading it, they'll be kind of impressed. Um, and it's sort of about young people post-college trying to figure out life and student debt and all that and whatever. I'd recommend The Marriage Pot by Jeffrey Eugenides. Is that how you say it? Yeah. That guy. Um it's pretty good. I liked it. And I'll just throw in one recommendation for a play called Rock and Roll by Tom Stoppard, which is about Czechoslovakia uh, before the fall of the Soviet Union. And it's about music and relationships and feelings and family. And, you know, it's really good. I saw it like twice when it was on Broadway. Sounds great. Um, the last one I'm going to throw in here is The Circle by Dave Eggers, which is his novel about Facebook. And I kind of feel like Dave Eggers doesn't totally get Facebook. And I didn't love The Circle, but I liked it way more than I liked this. So thank you to Purity for, in retrospect, making me like The Circle more. <laughs> and we'll have these and the rest of our suggestions up at com. And now we'll move on to our candy pairing where we suggest a candy to go along with this book. Um, Mine would be anything that just gets recalled for being tainted with something. Mine would be um, Three Musketeers, but only as a person who has tasted a Three Musketeers bar before and really ought to know better because it's just never a satisfying candy experience, but you keep going. And then you feel bad for making your friends read that book, I mean, eat that candy bar, just so that you wouldn't have to eat it alone, even though you know that it's basically just like faintly chocolate-flavored air. Um, So when we're done with this, I am going to eat some real leftover Halloween candy and probably also start reading One Crazy Summer by Rita Williams Garcia, because I feel like that's the ultimate palate cleanser for this book oh totally (laughs) 
Powerful black women, friends. Yes. Uh, and my candy pairing is overpriced organic fair trade chocolate from Whole Foods because uh, it's like totally about empowering local farmers and supporting the environment and definitely not about looking worldly and hip. Totally. Okay. Uh, now we'll play our favorite game, The Rock Paper Snicked, where Kate will say who Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book. And I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book. And Sophie will decide which character would most improve the book or choose paper. would we'll just leave the book as is. Okay. If Dwayne The Rock Johnson were in this book, he would be a guidance counselor at Pips High School. And before she can sign away $130,000 of her life to the college of her choice, he helps her research colleges and fill out financial aid forms and informs her of aid packages at schools she might not consider applying to and generally encourages her to pursue her dreams and ignore her mother, but to be self-aware about her finances and keep a good head on her shoulders. So she attends college and comes out with a meager amount of debt, and the self-confidence boost keeps her from accepting the first job she's offered and being a sad sack. So she leads a fulfilling life, mostly estranged from her mother, and the rest of the book doesn't actually happen. I mean, except for the things that happened before then, but we don't have to deal with them. All right. Well, mine would be, uh, if Wolverine were involved with this book, I would say that while in the process of researching this book... Jonathan Franzen would try to get an interview with somebody from S.H.I.E.L.D. to get some, like, (laughs) information about how to do espionage and maybe, like, work in some good details for his book. And the secretary at S.H.I.E.L.D. he talks to um, has a beef with Wolverine, so she sets up a meeting between Jonathan Franzen and Wolverine just as kind of out of spite. So Wolverine listens to Franzen for, like, five seconds before punching him in the face and leaving the room. (laughs) And... On his way out, Franzen accidentally ends up adopting an orphaned teenage superhero and spends the rest of his time teaching his new ward about birds, thus becoming too busy to write another novel. I think I'm going to choose Snicked, which is, that's Wolverine, right? Correct. Okay. For for the uninitiated, Snicked is famously the sound that Wolverine's claws make make when they come out of his skin in the comics. Got it. Snicked. Snicked. That makes sense. I'm, I can see. I can see that happening in my mind's eye right now. Um, I would choose that because I think I would enjoy friends in writing a self-lacerating essay about that experience after yeah. the fact. And but it, I like that both scenarios result in this book not existing. <laughs> I, I think I want to live in that timeline. Um, That's over in Earth too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In Earth 2, they have Zoom instead of Reverse Flash, and Purity was never written. (laughs) I'm okay. Yeah, that works. Um, All right, so the moral of the story? My moral of the story is that women are stupid and fickle and not to be trusted. Mine is, no one is truly pure except for super hot teenage girls. And my moral is really just a corollary to that, which is that obviously their hotness is the source of their purity, which then matures into a sudden magical ability to handle their borderline personality, having mothers. Yeah. But really he should have written this book about a cinnamon roll too good for this world, too pure. Like that <laughs> would have Liza been Styler, except exactly. no, I don't want him to touch her at all. No, no never. Mm-mm. But she is a cinnamon world too good for this world. A cinnamon roll too good for this world. <laughs> That's true. 
But right. if he'd written like a a recipe for like <laughs> the perfect cinnamon roll, I I would read that and I would try to bake it. Like I would, and I might send him notes. Like I would comment on his recipe blog. Like. Like, you know, I, I, would, I tried this and I, I made the following adjustments and here's how it worked out. Instead of writing this book, if he had just done a guest appearance on the Great British Bake Off. <gasps> yes. <laughs> but I That would have like been amazing. If he were to write just a perfect cinnamon roll recipe to release as his book Purity, it would kill two birds with one stone, which would be A, this book wouldn't exist, and B, people would be like, oh, he does understand the internet. I, you know, I get it. Like, he, he is aware he just chooses not to partake. Yes. And everyone, right. And we would all respect that. We'd be like, that's cool. That's his thing. Like, you do you, Jonathan Franzen, yeah. instead of spending two hours just laughing at him <laughs> it would be very lol <laughs> it would it would be totally lol <laughs> <laughs> all right let's move on to duarte's corner where my cat duarte will offer his opinions on this book all right duarte yeah i think i think that is a good point that as many characters as there are in this book he certainly could have stood to make one a cat think that is the shocking thing to overlook well you know the book is really about a struggle for purity and maybe he just realized that cats are already pure and you know have already conquered this that's true cats would never sell out to oprah for example (laughs) no they wouldn't but we could forgive that (laughs) all right well thank you duarte for your opinions as always uh do any humans have any closing thoughts about purity nope no we got them all out already yep <laughs> all right you can like us on facebook at the worst bestsellers you can follow us on twitter at uh worst bestseller with no s at the end you can follow me on twitter at 14 across you can follow me on twitter at renata snacks you can follow me on twitter at at sophie biblio and um i am one half of the two bossy dames newsletter team with friend of the podcast margaret h willison yeah um you can follow two bossy dames at at two bossy dames and you can subscribe to our newsletter at tinyletter.com slash two bossy dames and we'll have links to that yeah we'll have links to that and if you're not already (laughs) subscribed um you definitely should although i don't know how productive this is because i think more people subscribe to that than listen to our podcast (laughs) it might not be a perfect overlap so just jump on over if you're not i I think that venn diagram isn't a perfect circle yet right (laughs) uh you can also subscribe to us on stitcher and itunes and uh if you do please rate and review us because it pops us up a little bit on the uh, charts and it makes us more popular and it makes us feel good about ourselves and if you don't do it then we will definitely tell jonathan franzen that you're an orphan that he should adopt (laughs) oh no that is cruel I'm going to go write an iTunes review right now. <laughs> oh, great. Thank you. <laughs> because we've got some documents ready to leak to Franzen. Just... <laughs> uh, okay. Thank you, Sophie, so much for joining us. We really enjoyed sharing your Franzenfreude. <laughs> Thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to share my Franzenfreude. And you know what we did not even discuss is the book jacket of this book. But you know what? People can find us on Twitter and come talk to us about this author photo. And the blurbs. The blurbs are really something. 
Yeah. Bonus feature. Carry the conversation over to Twitter. <laughs> Why? Why does this exist? I don't know. <laughs> we'll be back in two weeks with a, a story for Christmas time. The Mistletoe Promise by Richard Paul Evans. Really hope that it's not as soul-crushing as the Christmas sweater, but I, I feel like it cannot possibly be. Yeah, no, it's nothing true. could be. It's, I, oh, please God, let it not be. <laughs> yeah, it, if it is, I think Caitlin, who was our guest for the Christmas sweater, who is some, for some reason, agreed to come back to do this one with us as well, I think she will actually straight up murder us. <laughs> well, because I, I think the reason she agreed is because we're like, it won't be as bad as the Christmas sweater. <laughs> We promise. But neither of us has read this yet, so we could not actually get that notarized. Well, but it's, it's mistletoe promise, which is suggestive of, like, you know... Kisses, romance. Yeah, smoochy. I think that'll be nice. Yeah. I'm definitely going to listen, so... Great. Yeah. You'll you'll find out. <laughs> or we'll be murdered and there will be no episode. <laughs> one, one Either, way. Two. <laughs> Either way. Either way. Either way. All right. Thank you, Sophie. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Bye. Bye. Do I? Did anyone kill all men? <laughs>